Welcome to another Talking With on Anbree. I'm so glad you're here. If you have ever been told that you're less than, that you couldn't, if you haven't realized your power and your greatness, you've come to the right place. Sit back, relax, take in all the inspiration as we talk to some pretty powerful people. Enjoy. of a hiatus of a couple of weeks um, with our Talking With series. And this Sunday, we are talking with John English. Welcome. Thank you. It's really a pleasure <laughs> to be here with you, Jacqueline. Well, as I'm going through, and I'm going to go ahead and share this to a few pages, okay. but if you could just give us a rundown of your background and who you are. Uh, well, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and uh, I've had a... Oh, there we go. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm a serial entrepreneur who has successfully founded four different companies. My journey in life has really been about freedom and having freedom over my own schedule, freedom over to pursue my interests. And throughout my life, I've had two fascinations uh, and pretty much equal fascinations, Jacqueline. One is business. I've always, I, when I was six years old, I the day my sisters got new bikes, I sold their tricycles door to door. So I've always been fascinated with business to this day. I still remember being about five and my dad discussing the cyclical nature of Howard Johnson's stock during the summer vacation season. So I've just always had this real interest in business. And then at the same time, this interest in, you know, who are we really? And what are we really doing here as human beings? And so I've pursued those two interests throughout my life and really just super grateful for the fascinating journey that I've had. And a couple of the businesses that I founded were eliminated due to changes in our world. So circumstances, circumstances that were outside of my control. And due to that, I've really learned how to you know, start a business very effectively and also to help people through the different phases that they go through in the growth of their business. So, And then in 2009, I was approached by a friend um, who was a former student, and he said, hey, do you think we can use this ancient wisdom stuff in my business? And I said, yeah, I know we can, because I'm using it in mine. So that's kind of how I got started with Ancient Wisdom for Modern Business. And I began coaching executives and entrepreneurs, mostly entrepreneurs and some executives, and these principles and techniques and processes just work really well for dealing with, you know, the challenges of the human condition and developing a different view of the world, one that is more of, uh, aligned with the mindsets that produce success and all of the things, happiness and joy and all the things that we want in life. And so that's how I got started with Ancient Wisdom for Modern Business and then from there, I just kept coaching entrepreneurs and executives, and then in 2015, decided that I really wanted to expand the business and move into leadership development and also employee development. So, so you've built your career. You've been a writer. Mm -hmm. You're an award-winning author. Correct. Um, you, of course, an entrepreneur, and now you're an executive coach, and you're doing employee engagement. And it's you've geared your journey. Um, it sounds like from the beginning you were very interested in business. You had an acute sense of business. And then it kind of developed into this sense of a deeper level of mindfulness, of purpose, mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah. 
Um, what was that moment that you had that mindfulness and uh, just self-awareness, the, the push or the motivation came into play for you? The moment, actually, the real turning point in my life was in 1999. I was uh, 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 sitting next to the pool in my home in North Phoenix with a friend, and we began to discuss fear mm -hmm. and how much fear had a hold of us as people, as human beings. And to be honest with you, I kind of thought that I had my fear kind of knocked. You know, I'd already founded a couple of companies. I didn't consider that I had that much fear. And as I began to look at it, I realized that I really did. And so this gentleman and I set out to eliminate fear and stress from our lives. I've, uh, I'm a type A personality and I've had stress related kind of issues my whole life. And this, what happened as a result of that conversation is two weeks later I met a shaman. And I had no idea what a shaman was. And he began to teach me and then he sent me off to study with his teacher. And it was during the transformative process that I went through in being mentored in ancient wisdom that I got control over the stress response due to mindfulness. And I was finally able to eliminate that from my life and really eliminate fear and use fear only as a tuning mechanism to let me know to pay attention. So I no longer identified with, I no, no longer let pressure become the stress response and I no longer identified with any fears that would like crop up. Um, is it important, do you think, when someone's setting out for that, that they have to name their fear or where their stress is coming from? So if you're looking at a stress point and you said you're a type A personality, do you ha what's the steps? Do you have to first become self-aware of who you are and then start tackling your fear and stress or? The great question, and the answer is no. You don't have to become self-aware to, uh, you know, to begin the begin the journey. And what I found over over the years, so that was 1999. So it's been 20 years now. And after about nine to ten years, was when I made the link that it was mindfulness is where we should begin. Mm -hmm. That's where we should begin because, um, really everything can come out of being mindful. And I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to practice it day in and day out. And thankful, you know, I was thankful that I was able to figure out how to do it. There's a, my mentor was on me to ground and center myself. You know, that type A personality and I dream big and I'm always, um, I have a varied interest. You know, I have a lot of different interests in life. so. That could lead to, you know, I have to watch to make sure that I stay focused. Mm -hmm. And so he was on me to ground and center myself, but he didn't tell me how to do it. That's how I was trained. Just go do this, and then you had to kind of figure out how to do it. And then in the ancient wisdom of the Toltec teachings, which were made very, the most popular book on them is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I was also mentored on that path. And in that path, they talk about this process they call stopping the world. And it's up where you stop your internal dialogue. That, vo you know, the voice in your head that's always chattering away, talking to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, um, you know, if we all talked out loud to ourselves the way that, um, the way that we talk inside our heads, that we, most of us would be committed, right? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, it, I figured out 
a mindfulness technique on how to ground and center yourself by a focus in your body that will stop the world, that will stop that internal dialogue. And so my, we all kind of, one, one thing we're challenged when we're mentored in ancient wisdom is to bring our unique contribution to the work. And so what my contribution is, one of my big contributions is to, to take what took nine or 10 years and bring that right to the beginning. So what I do is I bring the mindfulness right to the beginning and teach people my instant mindfulness method. And when I do so, then they're able to stop that voice in their head. And then they're able to stand aside from their fears. They're able to, um, everybody knows that launching this, or most people know anyway, that launching the stress response when your life isn't in danger is not only bad for your health, but it's a complete waste of time. Um, it kills brain cells, for example, and that's something that we don't want to do if we want to have um, good critical thinking skills. So I took that process and brought it right to the beginning. So that's where I begin with people. And we met through LinkedIn, but then you had a meetup that you invited me to, and you had an exercise that you had all of us do. Is that part, was that exercise an instant mindfulness exercise? Yes, it is. It's a, a focus in the body, as you know from going to the meetup here in Long Beach. It's a focus in the body to stop your internal dialogue. And then from there, when I work with leaders and also in, in employee development, I move it into communication. Mm-hmm and discuss how to communicate with a focus in your body. And communication is so much easier, so much clearer, so much ins more inspiring when we know how to use the power of our physical body. When you're introducing mindfulness to a group, is it important that you're, you're having to teach them what mindfulness is? Um, is there a buy-in that you have to sort of generate within the group or is it just the introduction of the exercises that will bring about their their energy or their acceptance, their participation? Um, thank you, another really great question. And everybody has to buy in. Mm -hmm. If people don't buy in, then they won't bring it into their lives. And that's also another ancient wisdom concept that we call, or process actually, that concept and a process that is work, what we call working with perception. So um, it's one of the things that I bring into my leadership development is I stress the need for all leaders and employees as well to learn about the worldview, the view of the world is what we would call it, of people that, are, that they're communicating with and be able to place within their view of the world, get them to buy into whatever it is. So. I usually begin with a definition of mindfulness, which is just a heightened state or a heightened state or a complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, and feelings on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And then I say, how much less drama would there be at work? How much less drama would there be at home? And how much time would it save you if you were aware of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions on a moment-to-moment -moment basis? And what kind of responses do you get initially, right out the gate, when you ask someone that question? The response that I usually get is silence for a little while <laughs> because they've never really, most people have never really considered it. And then they can look at their own lives and, well, you know, the times when I speak too soon and, you know, I create more challenges for myself or I react. One of the things that 
that happened for me is I was always trying to get a hold of that gap, that gap between input and reaction. Mm-hmm. And being a hard-charging type of person, I just rarely got a hold of that gap. And so if I was triggered emotionally, or like let's say I was offended, or I took something personally, I, I couldn't get a hold of that gap. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness is what allowed me to get a hold of that gap. I struggle with that same gap. Yeah. I do. Because yeah. I'm a type A and I'm very I wanna I want to very much get to the resolution. And when and it's especially hard when you see the resolution mm-hmm. um in your in your sights and you're like, come on, we can just get there if yeah. we if we take this. How do you get folks to slow down when they're so hardwired? Because you're not dealing with um with with folks that this is new personality traits. Yeah. They, they they would even say, I'm just hardwired this way. This is how I am. How do you get them to slow down long enough to start putting this stuff into practice? The, well, I use a couple of different processes. I really like to use the NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, matching and mirroring techniques. So what I will do is match their at their, let's say their tone of voice, their amount of eye contact, their body language, match, what I'm really doing is matching their energy, and then I move to that place. And then once I move to that place, then they, they follow. How do you not absorb, their, have you ever been in a situation where you've done that, and then all of a sudden you're off track? Have they, has that energy ever overpowered you in a situation? Well, it has before I began to practice mindfulness. <laughs> but once I really made mindfulness a practice in my life, then it didn't, um, it didn't happen as much. And it does happen in some relationships more than others. And, you know, there's all kinds of other things that we can do to transform ourselves, to, to learn from those relationships and have that to stop happening. And all of this is ancient wisdom. Why do you think ancient wisdom? Why do you think this is so important to bring into business other than it would help with communication? How is it going to help the bottom line? What's the business's ROI well, in adopting this? We are wasting an enormous amount of money, an enormous amount of money on stress in the workplace. And our pro- productivity has been stuck for like 15 years now. And there's a lot of drama in the workplace, a lot of conflict. And when one is aware of their thoughts, feelings, and emotions on a moment-to-moment basis, there's a lot less of that. I also work, I share the four agreements with people. Don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions. Those are the two that are an inward game. You know, it's an Mm -hmm. inward job, inside job. And then always do your best and show up, you know, show up fully and always do your best. And um, I I always tend to kind of forget one. Don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions. Always do your best. Be impeccable with your word. And if we do those things, then we eliminate so much of the, the drama that we create in our lives that wastes so much time and in business wastes so much money. And so what I did do with the with people in businesses, I discuss the return on investment of that and the return on investment of mindfulness. And I also 
I use, you know, uh, you know, there's the carrot and the stick, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're mentored in ancient wisdom, when you're personally mentored by people, they use the carrot and they, they talk about things that naturally intrigue us. And so one of the things that I discuss is mastery of time. So not time management, but mastery of time and how to actually master time. What's the difference? Uh, well, time management is just looking at your schedule and being as productive as you can. Mastery of time is not creating any drama in your life is one of the things. Think about how much time gets wasted by conflict. How much time gets wasted because people aren't present in the moment. How much time gets wasted because people go out of their way to make things more difficult for other people. And you've seen that in the workplace, I'm yeah. sure. It's incredible how much time that wastes. So that's how I kind of lay the foundation for mastery of time. So and just on that, so mastery of time, let's say that you're in a situation where you are practicing the mastery of time, where you're aware, you're mindful, but you're dealing with uh, the other person who is not, but you're still having to interact and have some sort of dialogue or mm -hmm. team approach with that person. How do, you, how do you maintain that mastery of time? How do you maintain the mindfulness when other people are not around you? I, one thing that ancient wisdom teaches us is that we are all trying to learn. Every, every interaction is really about discovering more of who we are and learning. Mm -hmm. And so that's the approach that I take. And I ask questions. So I will ask people questions and to find out what's really going on with them and just address it right then in the moment. Right? This is when it's taking place. So there's a fork in the road, right? We can go into drama and a bunch of things that are going to waste your time and my time, or we can deal with this right now and move forward and learn. And what I'll do is I'll just ask questions so that I can present what it is that we're trying to learn within that person's view of the world. So would you say that the mindfulness and self-awareness, while the... Um Faith component is learning more about yourself, and it is. It's very, it's very self-reflective, and it's and it's about the self. But once you reach a certain level and understanding and awareness of that, it really is helping others mm -hmm. and focusing on how you can move someone else through a situation or a conflict. Great point. People, we tend to be self-centered. And, you know, that's the ego, right? The ego tends to be very self-centered. So I will find out what someone wants. And I will show how this particular interaction that we're having is going to help them get what they want. Do you find um, that you're better able to connect dots with, with folks? Like what they think they really want isn't necessarily what they truly are going after? Or if they are exhibiting some sort of defense mechanism or stressor, that it really has an underlying component to that that hasn't been dealt with. It's not necessarily in that moment or that situation. Yeah, it's, it's always due to, it's almost always due to some underlying situation that's, that's a part of their belief system or, 
you know, something's happened in the past that, you know, has caused them to perceive this situation this way. So I, I like to use, in communication, I will use for like what I, I just call them connector phrases. And what they're doing is they're connecting us to knowledge. And I will be inquisitive and I'll, I'll say, huh, that's interesting. And when, if you say something like that, then a person will go, what? So now they're open. They've right. just asked a question. Well, it, it seems like what I said really kind of triggered you and, and you're getting a little bit defensive. I certainly didn't mean to do that. What, what's that really about? Then right away, I'm leading them back into themselves. And is this how you coach leadership? how to talk with their employees, and then how do you not get in trouble with HR? <laughs> well, um, I don't get in, in trouble with HR because I'm always looking for mutually beneficial outcomes. So I want to, I want to you know, find out what is the mutually beneficial outcome here, mm -hmm. and how can I help these people get it? So one thing I'll do is I don't make anyone wrong. That's important. That's, so it has to happen, yeah, right? Yeah, if, if you don't make someone wrong, they're a lot less defensive. And I will mention very early on in the conversation that I'm just looking for what is the outcome that we're both looking here. You know, you could say win-win. You know, what's a mutually beneficial outcome that, that we're trying to find here? And I do, one thing I work with leadership about is really communicating a lot more with the workforce. I have uh, three needs and relationships that I work with people. And I got those actually by help assisting people through the dying process. Mm -hmm. And there were three things that people really wanted to know in their, about their lives. That they've been seen, that they, and that they've grown as human beings, and that acknowledgement of that growth, that, they've, that they matter, that they've, you know, and that they mattered to other people and that they've accomplished things that have been important. So one thing I work with leadership on is how to bring those three needs into their interactions with the workforce. So, and it works like a charm. I mean, it, it really works well because everybody wants to be seen. Everybody, there's an innate experience, an innate drive within the human being to, to grow and to, accomplish and to um, you know contribute and that's just the way life is if you think about life it's always growing expanding and creating more mm -hmm. so what I do is work with leadership to help them their business be in alignment with life and in particular in communication with their workforce do you find that a lot of people um, are a little bit resistant at that because there's been such a thought process that you have to separate business and person, um, that you have to, you never let them see you sweat, um, you don't bring your personal life into work, um, and that you're always on your A game. There's just such a... a What's the word I'm looking for? There's just well, there's, such yeah. a perception that, yeah. that it's different. You have to compartmentalize. And my question is, well, how is that working for you? Um, do people still bring their troubles to work? Yeah, they do. Do they bring their personal problems to work? Yes, they do. Does their past, uh, um, in some cases, make them real easy to work with and in other cases make them very difficult to work with? Yep, that's for sure. So it's that 
you know, in ancient wisdom, we approach our life as one congruent whole. And that's what it is. I mean, we can deny it and bury our heads in the sand and say that it isn't true, but your life, right, is one congruent whole. It's all working together. And so that's how I typically approach that. And with leadership, I work with what are all the great aspects of your personality? What make you, you? And then we discuss how to use those different personality aspects, those different personality traits with different people. So it's not a one size fits all. So again, how to, you know, it's about placing whatever it is within their view of the world. So there is some resistance, but what I do is I use a combination of logic and emotion. So we are mental and emotional beings, right? So I use logic and emotion to get them to open up and consider that maybe there's a different way to do do things. And what we're doing now has not been working. So like command and control style leadership is not working. No one wants it anymore. People want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. They want to, you know, they, they people spend, in, in our country, you spend what, 40, at least 40 hours a week working. That should be inspiring, fulfilling and, you know, I'd even like to say joyful, right? That's the majority of our waking hours is working. So why not? Why can't it be all this? Yeah, exactly. Well, when you're, when you're talking about personality traits and leveraging those to um, interact with others, what are your opinion on the personality test? Because a lot of organizations are incorporating this to get a better uh, view on their workforce and that hopefully leads to better communication and then of course employee engagement so forth so on so like myers-briggs have been it's been around for a while uh stand out came onto the scene and now we have everything disc disc analysis what are what are your opinions on those are, are they giving you a mixture of logic and emotion or is it just based on logic yes they are i really I really like assessments. So I've helped uh, one particular company develop a hiring process that does feature a lot of assessments. We use the DISC profile, sometimes the Meyer-Briggs. So I really believe in assessments. One that I really like that isn't heard of a lot is the Enneagram. Have you ever heard of that? I have. You have? Okay, great. I have, Uh, just in the last couple of months. So it's weird that you're bringing that up. So there's nine different personality types. But what I love about the Enneagram is that it gives you a roadmap for seeing how evolved a person is within their personality type. So I'm a type seven, which is the enthusiast. You can look, if you were to interview me over the, let's say you had three interviews, one phone and two in person. Okay, so we do one phone interview, then a, in-person interview, and then a team interview. And during that process, leadership can get a real feel for how evolved within their personality type this person is. So it will also let if they know if they're a good fit for the job based on the personality assessment. And they list them as unhealthy, healthy, and uh, I forget what the top one is. But anyway, I always look for people that are in the top portion of how evolved they are within their personality type. They're going to be more self-aware. Do you, I have my own opinion on this, but um, I do see companies and 
pretty much every company that I've ever uh, consulted with or been a part of, there's a personality test right there at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But there's not one in year two, there's not one in year four, and if we are continuously growing, if we're always evolving, then what would be the downside or the upside of companies not checking back in to see how a person's grown or evolved and their personality has shifted? I think that's a great idea. I, re I really like that idea. Thank you. I think it would be a good idea to, to as, you know, to have people take the assessments again as they continue to evolve within their job, as they continue to learn more skills. And when you see, I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that if you start seeing a person that was really high, let's say, in enthusiasm or engagement um, with others, mm -hmm. coordination, problem solving, and if you see those scores starting to go down? and they're shifting, I mean, wouldn't that help with with costs as well, or at least give someone the idea of, oh, we need to work on this area? Yeah, I, I think that's one way to do it. Another way is to have good, healthy work relationships. Because yeah. if you have a good, healthy work relationship, I mean, it's this person is a human being. Mm -hmm. um, all the people on your team are human beings, and they're going to have a, Perhaps what I'd like an ebb and flow of growth that's like a stock chart, for example. Right. And it's during those ebbs that they need assistance. That if you have a good, healthy work relationship with people, you can discuss with them what's going on, and perhaps provide some insight for them on how to continue back on the path that they want to. You know that they're going to be the most valuable for the company. I I think that. Right now, we're in the, you know, I mean, things are changing so fast. And I think the mindfulness and this approach is a real key to resiliency. And also to the, people are going to have many different careers throughout their life. The, when I first started, people would have, when I first started my career, people would have a job and then they would retire from that same job. Or maybe get promoted in that company and stay with the whole company. There, That's not happening anymore. And talent retention, acquiring good talent, and then retaining that talent is a huge cost for companies and a huge issue that's on the mind of many leaders today. And I think relation, great work relationships, mindfulness, and some processes in place so that people waste less time with drama and all the other kind of things that happen in the workplace is a real key to making the transition in a company as, as equitable as possible. As people grow and they move on to a different job or as they get promoted within the company they're in, I think that's a, a great way to save as much time as possible. Do you think that it has to start at leadership? Do you find that when you go into a company or does it depend on the company where you, where you really start um, putting this strategy in place and this this thought process in place. It's most beneficial if it begins with leadership, and if they change and they adopt principles. There's a great book called Principles by Ray Dalio. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. No. It's really good. He built a it's um, he built a company. It's a financial company that has like 1,500 employees worldwide, and it's a familial type culture. And there's these principles that everybody lives and works by. So that's a, a great way to do it. But it works best if you go with leadership first and then move into 
managers. Managers are hugely important in a company. I mean, just hugely important. Really, um, I'm quite amazed by them because they need management skills, but they also need leadership skills. Mm -hmm. So it would be preferable for leadership and then into the managers and then out to the rest of the workforce. I also do trainings online, live webinars with, with companies that do like in jobs like uh, uh, healthcare that have a lot of stress and that's a great way for them to use the instant mindfulness method to begin to reduce their stress. Having the webinar is a way for leadership to show the workforce that they really do care for them. Preferably leadership then on down. Also, if there's, if there's teams that are having trouble that, are, that aren't as effective, then can do it on a team-by-team -team basis. Is this self-discovery? Have you ever been in a situation where you've moved someone through self-discovery and at the, you know, during that, you've discovered that they're in the wrong place, they don't fit? That has happened a few times, actually. What do you do? I mean, they can't just be like, oh, well, but I guess I'll <laughs> see you around, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but what do you, how do you, how do you um, help the company with that realization? How do you help the individual with that realization? I work with both the, their leaders and with the individual to make the transition into doing something else is as equitable as the word that comes up again as possible, to make it as easy as possible and as stress-free as possible. And I think it's and an important topic that I ask this because you're, you're, for lack of a better term, from an employee standpoint of view, when you walk into a company and you're talking about employee engagement and you're talking about communication and team performance, you're a consultant mm -hmm. and they automatically go to, who is he going to recommend stay or go? So I think it's important that we highlight that you're not, you're coaching the employees. Yes. Through all of that. They're exactly. not just having yeah. to figure it out. They're not just having to figure it out. And my, my, it's been my experience that if a person really wants to grow and fulfill their potential, then they can. Mm -hmm. So I work with the inspirational side of that to get them on board with that. Have you been in a situation where you've been able, you see that there's little engagement or not optimal engagement from the employees and by through working with leadership you've seen that culture shift to where that engagement what does that feel like that's like that's my favorite thing to do because <laughs> my career has been so rewarding it's been so rewarding and I I've gotten a great deal of accomplishment and joy and fulfillment from working that I would naturally just want everyone to have that so when I get to go in and work on the company's culture, that's, that, that's what I really love to do. That's one of your favorites? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. When you were, um, I asked this question to everyone, when you were just a young lad, what was your definition of success? When I was a young lad, my definition of success was to make a lot of money and do a great job supporting my family. That was my de definition of success and to become the best at whatever I do. Have you, have you lived out that definition or has your definition shifted? My definition has, has shifted and now what determines success for me is the impact that I get to have in someone's life. Mm -hmm. It's all about having impact and creating value for them. That's my definition of success now. So it has completely changed 
from the very beginning, yeah. And do you find that if you're going and working towards making impact and providing value for others, then your financial security, that the um, your hierarchy of needs is also being met? I mean, we need roof and yeah. clothing and food. <clears throat> yes, that's the way that it works. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you focus on impact, you focus on contribution, you focus on relationships, then business will be successful. So what about that single parent that might be watching right now or that struggling business owner that might be watching right now going, I'm trying everything and I don't, they don't buy it. They don't believe in it. What's, because y'all know I always try to get some free coaching out for y'all. Um, <laughs> what's your first step in, in helping them understand that you're, hitting a wall because there's a wall there what's your well my first step is to use compassion and practice empathy and because I do get it I've you know I've had to start over three times mm -hmm. completely over three times so I do get that I and I do get what it feels like to be stuck and one reason being stuck just is so horrible is because life is always moving, expanding, and creating more. And if, it, life is an immense force. Mm -hmm. So when we're stuck, it's like we're standing in the middle of this immense force that's putting pressure on us to move forward. And where two minds, three minds, four minds together create like a mastermind. And so when we work with other people, it's so much easier for us to get out of being stuck and into moving forward. And I would just ask questions to find out what's going on with them and you know why they're not buying it. And I, when, when I find out their belief system, then I will work with, within their belief system to help them get what they want. Would you say that the first step in, so if you're struggling in your business, if you're struggling in a personal relationship and you're, you've, you're trying everything, you're not trying the same actions. You feel like mm -hmm. you're not trying the same actions. You feel like you're going at it from different angles, but you're still running into the same. How do you get someone to stop the bleeding? How do you get them comfortable enough to just sit down for a minute and go, okay, we have to look at this completely different? How do you get yourself to do that? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. One is, you know, and you've mentioned relationships and business, so they're even though they're all it's all about relationships, they're a little bit different. The focus is a little different. I would work with the person to love themselves. What is in the way of them loving themselves? And if they love themselves, then they can change. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of an individual, an individual situation. In business, maybe they need a different model. Often, there's an ancient wisdom, a couple of different ways this concept is put. One is called the beginner's mind. Have you heard yeah, of that before? I have yeah. heard of that. It's kind of a Zen tradition, and it's approaching everything with the beginner's mind. Instead of the worldview that I'm stuck and every, you know, this sucks, whatever is going on. And then in, in the Toltec teachings, it's referred to as fluidity of perception. And so it's how we assemble, yeah, did I, maybe I mentioned it in the meetup, 
um, it's how we uh, how we assemble our world and so I work with them with with those two things and perhaps it, it, perhaps this is just as simple as really opening up and approaching the whole thing as a, with a beginner's mind and assembling the situation different with relationships often we tend to hang on when it's not in our best interest to hang on yeah and even in business relationships if Correct. you're trying at every which sometimes it's it's, it's better, better for to some, let go. Yeah. Like the person you mentioned earlier that's in the wrong job. Right. Had that happen recently. person f- figured out that they're not in the, r- the right job. The, the, it sounds like the beginning of this journey is, is filled with a lot of hard. It's, you know, you've got to re, uh, retrain yourself how you're thinking. You have to cognizantly mm-hmm. remind yourself to always be in the moment looking at things differently and then you're faced with some pretty tough choices it seems like that it can be that way it doesn't have to be that way it, it doesn't have to be hard what when you learn to focus within your physical body and be present in your body you connect with your real self mm-hmm. and your real self is driving the bus anyway so once you do that, a lot of this becomes, becomes much easier. So it doesn't have to be difficult. And it probably isn't once you get in touch with the driver that's exactly. doing that anyway because yeah. you have that power of knowledge now yeah. and the awareness. So this person that I'm thinking of specifically could have stayed in that job for the rest of her career and she would have been miserable. Mm. It wasn't the right job for her. I mean, the actual thing that she was doing, you know, was, yeah. And she would have, whatever monetary, you know, reward she got from that job, she wouldn't have reaped the reward. She would have spent it on something else to mm-hmm. compensate, right? Yeah. And thank you for bringing up the monetary compensation because it, when, we, when we do, when we use our unique strengths and our gifts in this world, the, we create more monetary compensation as opposed to the other way of continuing to do something that we we don't enjoy anymore I've had different careers throughout my life and I've moved out of those when they didn't serve me anymore and the reason that I was able to do that is because the monetary thing triggers the survival instinct and once you have the knowledge that the survival instinct is being triggered, you can use that combination of logic and emotion to not react to that and pursue what your dreams, what it is that you want. Hmm. Well, I would like, let's check the time. Oh, and we are. Coming up on it, huh? We are coming up on it. That went by fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just wanna check and see if we have any questions for you. Here, I do see a few people jumped on. Um, so I just want to check comments real quick. And we're not having any questions, but as always, um, when you watch this, if you do have questions later on, uh, you can put them in the comments and I will make sure that John gets those for you. Um, you can also uh, message me directly and I can for those on or if you'd like to give your contact information sure people can reach out to me through my website at ancientwisdomformodernbusiness.com i'm also on linkedin and instagram and facebook so 
we met through LinkedIn. He's got a lot of articles that he <laughs> has uh, put on there. And your website is, I'm, I've been reading it and rereading yeah. it. It's full of, chocked full of um, insight and purpose and definition. Well, so thank you. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed going through your website and your meetup. So when's your next meetup here? The in next Long meetup Beach? is July 10th at 7:30 a.m. here in Long Beach at Cup of Cup of right on Ocean Boulevard. So people can connect with us on Meetup and come on out. And what we're working there is we're using these ancient wisdom processes in in my soft skills mastery process. Mm-hmm. So everyone who comes to the meetup is going to go through the process, as as you know from you came to the very first I meetup. Did. Everyone who comes to the meetup is going to go through the process that's going to really, um, it's been working for thousands of years (laughs) to help people fulfill their potential. And with a specific focus on soft skills. So in the first meeting, we talked about mindfulness. In this meeting, we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and how to actually have it. Emotional. I I am very intrigued about the emotional intelligence. And I did want to offer um, just a sign off opinion because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are on uh, this page. There's a lot of folks that are trying to find their drive and their purpose. Um, A lot of people that are um, trying to get that level of enjoyment back into their life. And here's the the thing about bringing powerful people such as John English um, in front of you is that there's whether you're you, this is it, and you found that this is the journey that, you, that you're wanting to take, um, or it's not, there's, I wanna circle back to what you said because it was so um, poignant that um, we have to be open and we have to be, arrive at a place of what and why and um, allow, how did you put it? It was to allow our fluidity of, Fluidity of perception. Of perception. And there's going to be tools that um, are going to be helpful to you in every interaction that we've had. Um, I did a grounding, because I'm not so certain yet about grounding, but we had to do a grounding exercise. We didn't have to. John did (laughs) like, you know, but he encouraged us to do a grounding exercise, and it was... um, it did. It, it made me, it was a five minute exercise, if that. I don't yeah. think it was a total five minutes. Um, but it made me self aware. It made me self aware. It forced me to be, um, to go in and say, what am I thinking right now? What am I feeling right now? And that's beneficial. And it's so, it's so simple, isn't it? It was so simple. <laughs> it was. But it was also at the same time, I was like, wow. Because you would think that it would take an hour to really quiet down and all of that, but it didn't. It took less than five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty powerful. That's good. That's the beauty of. Uh, that's why we call it the instant mindfulness instant method. Instant yeah. mindfulness. It was. It was instant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for. I know you don't normally work on Sundays, so I want to thank you for um, bending that role for for me and for everyone else that's going to be able to get this interview it's my pleasure and uh just worked out that we could do it so it's great i really enjoyed it thank you for having me on and thank you to everyone who who is with us today and who also see this video all right
Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Enjoy your um, Sunday, and we will be, I'll be coming at you again live next week, and you can stream the audio of this anywhere that you pick up your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean. Thanks. Bye.